Hello, everybody. This is a public service announcement. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, sorry to jump in here and interrupt this podcast. We had to get ahead of this one a little bit because we pre-recorded this podcast. Oh, yeah. Forgetting that it would be the last one before Deck Expo. Like, literally, this is going to go up the Saturday before Deck Expo. Yeah. Three days. Days before. Three days. We're on a plane. So... We had to throw this little snippet in here. Deck Expo, we are going to be there. That's right. The Ultimate Deck Podcast is going to be live at Deck Expo from the Decorators booth. So look it up on your map. Find the Decorators booth. Do you know what number it is? I did, not off the top of my head. Come on. It's like, but if you look at our social media posts, I have it on there somewhere. It's like, I don't want to say, I feel like it's 1019, but I don't like, you don't want to be wrong. Double check that. But we're going to be at that booth with our studio all set up. No, no, no. Just the gear. We're not bringing the whole studio. We're, well, we're just... not going to bring the room. Yeah, yeah. But the mics and stuff are going to be there. Are you bring the camera? We're going to be there. We're going to bring videos? the camera. We're going to do that. Good. Thursday from 1 to 4 p.m. I'll get my hair did. Maybe I'll do a blowout. Yeah. We're recording a couple podcasts that day. We're going to do live podcast with Jace DeBoer, who is the decorator's senior marketing category manager, I think is what he's called. Okay. We're going to have a podcast with him, and he's going to tell us all about what's new with decorators. That's going to be pretty exciting. Fun. It'll be good. Two o'clock is the Instagram meetup. This is the best part of the whole week. I promise you two o'clock at the decorators booth. There's going to be free beer. Bold statement. There's going to be, we're going to do a a open mic podcast. So if you want to sit down and chat about decks and stuff, come do that with us at that time. There's going to be everybody there from the Instagram community. So if you follow along with some people that you want to meet up with, they're going to be at this booth. Get yourself some swag from decorators, some swag from us. It's going to be a great time. Make sure you don't miss the two o'clock. Then we're going to record. I think that'll be a fun one. It's going to be so good. I'm looking forward to that one. I hope that, um, I hope we get some people that actually want to sit down and chin wag. You know what I mean? I hope so. Yeah. Like, don't be like, don't Don't be be afraid to sit down. Yeah. Don't be afraid to sit down. You know, what's the worst that happens? Like a hundred people listen to it. Oh no, maybe 10,000. Oh, maybe eventually. <laughs> uh, Friday morning, we're back at the decorators booth from 9, 9 to 12. That's going to be a tough record one. Record a couple more. So yeah, 9 a.m. We're going to be there. <laughs> These are approximate times. Uh, we're going to record another podcast at 9 a.m. on Friday morning with some special guests, Sean from Premier Outdoor Living and Leaf from Cascade Fence and Deck are going to join us in that podcast to talk yeah. about their experience with decorators. Uh, they're a couple of certified pros. They've got yeah, some it's going to be like some products. decorator pro stuff, right? It'll be good. Yeah. Then at approximately 11 o'clock, we're going to do a, a show recap so we like uh we're not on too tight of a leash we're allowed to go explore the show and so we're going to do that i'm going to come back and report on what we've seen from the show so the people that weren't there they can find out a little bit about what we saw and so if you have some stuff that you think is good valuable that people need to see get that in our hands we're there we land tuesday night we're gonna have dinner we're there wednesday just kind of walking like we're just walking around town right i think i want to get a baseball bat as you should and then we'll set some stuff up wednesday thursday morning we're going to try and crush the floor and so get that stuff in our hands yeah so we'll talk about it friday yeah that's the plan we're gonna record four podcasts a couple on thursday afternoon a couple on friday morning the big thing is the instagram meetup at two o'clock on thursday be there or be square there's gonna be some pull-up banners at the booth so you can take like the actual times of the podcast you don't have to remember it i know you're driving right now yeah keep driving Thursday afternoon, uh, make sure you check Friday it morning. Out. That's it. That's what That's you need it. to know. See you in Deck Expo. Let's make this happen. Boy, and now, a good time. let's get to the podcast. Boom. On today's podcast, Jim Demery from Understand Us joins us. Hey. 
Welcome everybody to the Ultimate Deck Podcast. Shane Chapman, your host here today, and I've got a special guest from a mental health initiative called Understand Us, local to Regina, Mr. Jim Demery. How are you today, Jimmy? Good, my man. How are you? Good, good. So this is a bit of a change up for us. We don't uh, we don't take on serious I issues in this too often, right? But uh, I thought this was a very, very relevant topic considering who our audience is, which a lot of our audience is contractors. Yeah, and, for sure. And uh, contractors, not only do they go out and build things and stress themselves all, all day over the mechanics of what they do, but they're also small business owners often being everything in their business. For sure. Not a lot of help. And it's oh, a lonely totally. place. So I thought this would be a great chance to uh, have a mental health discussion um, and who better to have that with than you. Yeah, so. I'm excited to be here. This is great. Here we are. I love when people from this industry want to create this conversation. It's super important. Yeah, it, because it's not something that gets talked about in this industry that I've been a part of. Like, so I, prior to opening up this retail store in this industry, I was building decks and uh, I don't know that I've ever, ever had anybody say like, how you doing? Yeah. You know, like how <laughs> you feeling okay? You stressed out kind of thing. Yeah, it's not a culture uh, point that gets touched on in the construction industry very much. It's not because it's uh, a lot of times filled full of guys who, who don't share their emotions and they're, you know, they're, they're usually a little bit rough and tumble in this industry and they've kind of mm -hmm. grown a thick skin to things over the years and um, it just doesn't come out. That's right. Until it's too late sometimes. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. So Jim, you're, your organization called Understand Us is a mental health initiative. Um, just trying to gain some awareness around this topic. Um, you're fairly local. I know you're starting to breach the borders a little bit here, but a lot of our audience is in the United States as well. So why don't you give us a little bit of uh, who you are, kind of a personal bio. Yeah. Right, start there. Well, I'm 38 years old. I'm from Ontario. Originally moved to Regina when I was 12 years old. I uh, grew up, played sports. Uh, so hockey, lacrosse, um, baseball. I uh, went to university, have a business degree, worked for Earl's Restaurant as a general manager for eight years. Um, and throughout my kind of time, I started Understand Us in 2011. So it's been around for eight years, actually. It's been kind of a slow process, slow grind. It was a side project for many years. That's surprising even to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's one of those things that like the awareness continues to grow. So there's always people that think we just started yesterday, yeah. but we've actually been around for eight years, but it's, it's like I said, it started off really, really small. Um, and what understand us is, is um, kind of a local initiative that creates conversation and awareness around mental health. I knew when I first uh, started talking about it, that there was this weird tension around opening up about it and people weren't comfortable talking about it. And even the reactions I got were, um, a little surprising and made me feel a little bit alienated, even though I'm an open guy and I was talking about everything. So I realized that there needs to be an improvement of how we talk about mental health. So I was kind of inspired to, to, uh, start it. So, yeah, like I said, that's surprising to me because I think I've only been aware of it for maybe I would say like half that time. Like I've been kind mm -hmm. of cognizant of the last three to four years that this is out there and you're seeing more and more of it. And I guess that's kudos to you for, for growing it over this time, but 2011 is surprising to me. So that's, that's awesome. Um, so why, how did you decide that you were going to become the champion of this conversation? Like what, was there something in your own personal life that kind of led to this? Or? Well, there's two, there's two parts. So when I, I started having major anxiety when I was opening up um, Earl's restaurant in the East end and I wasn't taking care of myself. I was working 14 hour days and it started to grow and grow. And I just kind of hit a wall where I was just vomiting every day from the stress 
overnight. I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping and I just needed to get help. And when I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety, I did start to open up, even though I had a lot of fear and shame about it. I also had this kind of feeling of um, relief that now I knew why I felt the way I felt my whole life. And I started to talk to people about it. And through that process of talking to people, I just realized that there was a lot of people that were surprised. They would say, Jim, I've known you for 10 years. You're not someone I would have thought would have had a mental illness. And it showed that we only view mental illness in one extreme way and that we don't believe people that are next to us every day in jobs, families, friends um, can be struggling. And there was a lot of resistance as well. Some people would say, Jim, I know people with real diseases, you're just playing a victim or you're looking for attention. And I was just like, I'm just trying to open up about how I feel. Mm -hmm. And there was this weird resistance about it. So I realized in that moment that the way we view mental illness, the way we talk about mental illness can be incorrect and can be damaging. And then in 2011, my dad passed away suddenly in February when I was going through the mourning process. Whenever someone passes away, you naturally reflect on their life and your relationship with them. And I realized in that moment that my dad had depression his whole life and he never dealt with it because he was a mechanic. He came from kind of that manly man's world where he obviously felt that opening up about how he felt or his emotions would have been considered a weakness. So he'd rather live with depression his whole life and never deal with it. And so in honor of him is what triggered me to actually say like, I think I can make a difference with this. I was in a position where I felt like if we start having this conversation, maybe we can change it. So I made some shirts that said, understand us on it. I brought it into Earl's restaurant. I showed some people, I was like, Hey, this is for mental health awareness. And they all jumped on it and they, it's kind of started this conversation. And I realized then that I kind of had the power and the network in that moment to create a conversation. It started with shirts and now it's grown to be so much more. So amazing. Were you at, I didn't see, were you at, OnCon yesterday, the Honest no, Conference. I wasn't. Um, so I didn't. I, like I knew some of the panel members. I didn't know. I didn't know Tim mm -hmm. um, from who owned Atlantis Coffee and right. Malt City and um, Flip and whatever else. Um, but and it's my first time going to that event myself, so I wasn't sure what to expect. I and it was a lot more of this kind of like honest conversation, opening up, mm -hmm. and a bit of men mental health in there as well, which is super interesting to me. And to your point that some people go through their life just not knowing that there's a problem themselves, Tim kind of had opened up about that yesterday and said, mm -hmm. like, I ended up with severe anxiety, but I had no idea that that's what I was even experiencing. He's like, I, it took my wife to say like, no, no, like you are, you are the definition of anxiety. What's happening to you right now is like, go get this checked out for sure. Because he was like, it's to me, I always told her it was just a feeling. He's like, I'm just feeling kind of like a little bit weird. I'm just feeling weird or whatever. And he didn't understand that. that was, and he's like, that doesn't sound like me. I'm a, I'm a happy guy. How can this, yeah. how can it be me? Right. And so it's interesting to, um, when you're, when you're with yourself, your whole life and in your own mind, your whole life, you start to think that the, your thought patterns and your behavior is just the way everyone feels. When sure. I was a kid and I was avoiding things and felt such high stress over nothing, I, there was no reason for me to think anyone else felt any differently. So until your body starts kicking in with it and it starts really affecting how you function. That's a lot of times when people are forced to then deal with it and realize it. And then when they do, they're like, Oh, wait a minute. Okay. I get it now. It's anxiety. And that explains all these thoughts and behaviors that I've had for years, but it does take some form of trigger or incident to usually have that because we're not as intuitive or introspective as we like to believe. Right. You know, and we always, we think that we can control our physical health, but we don't have as much control over our emotions and we actually do. So, right. 
What is the kind of ultimate goal slash vision slash mission for Understand Us? You've you started well, I mean, this thing. Where's it headed? Yeah, we want to be like the the Canadian leader for creating a mental health conversation and doing this through awareness campaigns, youth education, both online and in classrooms. Um, obviously presentations and community events, and then obviously still sell our clothing as a form of conversation starting. So obviously we started local, we're starting to move province wide now and starting to get recognized. We've been out of province a few times. So now really it's just, it's going to be, how do we make everybody in this country feel almost proud to open up and show that vulnerability and not have any fear or shame about it? And once they do that, then they can access proper treatments, proper, um, I guess like health region, um, things that they can then treat themselves and actually get better. And it's the only way we can kind of fix this problem is when I ask why it's such a large problem, everyone always says, well, it's invisible. You can't see mental illness, but you can see physical illness. Well, the only way we're ever going to make it visible is to open up and be fearless and talk about it. And once we do that, then we'll, will truly start understanding it. And that understanding leads to um, proper treatments and proper supports and proper kind of help. So that's the outcome we want. I don't know uh, where we are right now. We're, we're, we've made a difference, I believe, in Regina with the mental health conversation. And I think it's something that still is important. Yeah. And so that was my neck kind of leading into my next question is that you've got, you've got an initiative that people are, um, that one of the main reasons uh, you need to do what you're doing is because people are kind of afraid to open up and talk about these things. And you're also doing it from a market that almost has that inherent um, trait about it. People from Regina generally don't like to be too loud about, about what they do, right? Like they're yeah, okay. Like fair. the local community is, is, is over the last few years has really grown up and really started to, to, to bond and grow and whatnot, but getting mm-hmm. outside of our borders and go to, to other markets can be a bit of a challenge for sometimes for people from Regina, that small town mindset. Is that, kind of, you said you've gone into other provinces. What's your, how do you grow this beyond Regina's borders? I guess is what I'm saying. How do you get the attention of people in bigger markets? Well, far away from I here? mean, the it's, it's, it was easy for me to start in Regina because I had a built network and I worked with 120 people at Earl's restaurant that were young and influential. And it was such an easy entrance right. into promoting what we were doing. So the only way I believe we can move into another province is to kind of link with a business that is in other markets and try to collaborate and try to implement kind of what understand us does in with partially their business and then use their network to kind of, um, get out there or get some sponsorship in other cities, but it's going to have to be organic. We, We don't have a product that we can just replicate, um, province to province right now. And we don't, we definitely don't have the funding for that. We, we, we probably could replicate it if I could find people, but it's going to have to be a bit of an organic growth. So we'll probably move to Manitoba and Alberta first and try to do Western Canada and then kind of move from there. But it's going to be all about finding partners that already have a presence in those cities and trying to kind of maneuver in that way. Sure. What are some ways that people can identify? So you mentioned that that people, you don't know what you don't know. And if you've grown up thinking a certain way and doing things a certain way, your entire life, you kind of, you kind of normalize that and think Mm -hmm. that, that's just how things are and how everybody talks. But what are some things that people can do to kind of self-evaluate and say like, maybe these thoughts I'm having aren't, aren't normal. Well, I mean, I would say there's two main things that I've done in my life. So the first thing I did is I surrounded myself with people that I trusted and that I could be open with. And 
So for instance, if I had an irrational thought, cause with anxiety, a lot of times there's this weird irrational thought. So you might think my, I'm going to go out of business this year, but there may not be any proof of that. It just might be this weird fear that you have in your head that if left alone, that irrational thought will grow and it'll repeat and you'll start, you know, um, having these catastrophic thoughts that have no choke on it. So what I always did is I surrounded myself with people I could trust. And I would say, Hey, like, this is what I feel like. I feel like, you know, this person doesn't like me or I might get fired from my job or whatever it is, some weird thought. And in those moments, they would challenge those thoughts and they would say like, well, you know, prove that to me or let's talk about it. And the more I talked it out with someone that wasn't in my irrational state, they would kind of challenge these thoughts and bring me back down to reality and make me realize, Hey, you know what? Maybe my thoughts aren't always based on truth that my anxiety is triggering these. Um, and another thing I've done is I compare myself in similar situations. So it's hard through time to know if your mental health is deteriorating or improving. The only thing you can do is kind of take some weird benchmark. So, you know, Christmas this year, I can kind of remember how I felt at Christmas last year. And it's almost like that benchmark of Christmas can be a comparison of like, where am I at in compared to last year? Was I happier? Do I remember having more joyful times? Um, and things like that have helped me because I, it a gives me a chance to reflect on why I would have been maybe happier or doing um, things in a different time. But it also allows me to say like, you're right compared to last year, I'm not feeling as the same way. And I remember that, but every day it's hard because it's, it's always a moving spectrum. So, right. The thing you described there, I've heard, and like I've, I've been to counselors before and even it it came up in OnCon yesterday about um, storytelling, Mm -hmm. about creating those, those imagination driven stories where, where you, all you do is kind of create this story and kind of guide yourself towards the most negative income of something, which doesn't make sense. Like logically it doesn't make sense. Why would you, mm-hmm. why would you create something fictional in your mind only to try to get to some sort of negative outcome about it? But I think it's, I think that's super common. I think a lot of people do oh, yeah. that, right? Like something happens to them and then they play it out in their head. Like, Oh, well, what if this then happens? Well, oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. And if this happens, Oh my God. And then all of a sudden you get yourself worked up into this, panic and anxiety about something that's unlikely to even play out yeah. that way. Well, with anxiety, it's weird because most people like, uh, that I was around, you know, if they were writing a big test, if they were saying a big speech, if they were trying out for a sports team, they would have elevated levels of anxiety. But for me, how I'm different is I have those elevated levels of anxiety without any trigger. So what happens to me is I wake up and I start feeling anxious and I have no reason for it. There's no logical pathway I can find for it. So what then I start doing is I have to justify this anxiety I feel with something. So I start in my head saying it must be my relationship. It must be my job. It must be this and that. And you're almost creating these um, stories to justify your physical feeling of anxiety. And that's, and then it, that thought triggers actually more physical anxiety. So it's this weird kind of snowball effect, which is why people get panic attacks. That's why it grows and grows and grows to the point where they become non-functional or they say, I need to, I need to separate myself from everything and just, you know, isolate myself. So I don't have any external triggers. Um, and that can be dangerous, but it is weird. We tell ourselves all these stories to almost justify the anxiety that we feel, you know, preceding the trigger. So mm. you mentioned that one of the, one of the best things to do is, is kind of to align yourself with other people that are that are kind of open and, and that you feel comfortable around to, so you can communicate and whatnot. How, I don't, and I don't know that there's an answer to this, but how 
So people that are kind of more extroverted and already socially active are probably going to find an easier time with that. It's like, okay, I, I enjoy communicating with people already. It just needs to be what's the conversation about now versus people that are more introverted and feel uncomfortable in those situations to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have tips for them on like how to, and yeah, I, and that's I, such a good point. Actually. I expect, I expect that people that are kind of more introverted, if they start, if they start feeling worse, they're only going to feel more introverted. So how do they find yeah, those I mean, people in their lives? Ah, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. I mean, you have to find people that have similar interests and it's going to have to be a slow process. I mean, you're not going to meet someone at a restaurant randomly sitting next to the bar and just open up and say, Hey, I got a good vibe from you. Let me tell you about my depression. Yeah. yeah. That's not how it's going to be. It's going to be slowly like, Hey, this is a coworker that we drive around in the truck together. Uh, and we've started talking about our families. We've started talking about what music we like. We've talked about what we did in university and things like that. And then there's this compassion as a relationship grows. It's just like, how are you doing? Um, how are you feeling? And then it takes, a, there's no doubt about it. Introvert, extrovert, shy or outgoing. It takes courage to say like, honestly, I'm struggling a little bit. Um, and in that moment, after that relationship has built from trust and communication, it's actually a pretty easy transition and people are way less judgmental than anybody thinks. So in your head, we, we make it so that if I say that I am struggling, that my partner at work is going to say I'm weak, is going to say that I'm a burden to them on the job, is going to say um, I'm so much stronger than my partner or whatever it is. But really what happens is the other person usually has a sigh of relief and says, thank you. You're now vulnerable. So now that's giving me the space that I can now be vulnerable and say like, you know what? I, I, I understand those struggles. Let's talk about it. And that relationship just organically happens. And for those that really do struggle talking to peers, that's where counselors come in. Mm-hmm. And every there's, there's 211.com, there's kids help phone that literally you can text phone and get to talk to someone immediately. There's ways to um, access conversation with a stranger if that's how you feel more comfortable. But the big lesson is that staying isolated with those negative thoughts and with those irrational thoughts and in that uncomfortable space is just not okay. And that's not ever going to change it. Just saying I'll get through it myself or I'll suck it up. Yeah. So given that, like how, how much responsibility should we as people who maybe, um, how do I word this? That feel that feel like we don't have a serious issue about things. How much responsibility is that? Is it? How much responsibility is it of ours to? <laughs> that's okay. Could be somebody that needs help. Yeah. No. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay. That's a podcast rookie mistake right there. <laughs> um, this is year one of the podcast. We didn't even know what podcasts were two two months before we started this <laughs> yeah. one. So there's been lots of rookie mistakes. I love on it. This podcast. <laughs> Uh, where was I going? How much onus do we have, um, as friends and family, I guess, to people to kind of, to break the ice for people? Because like we said, sometimes people aren't ever going to come out of their shell and talk Mm -hmm. about things. How much, like, is it, should we be feeling like we should be checking in with our friends and family on a regular basis? Just kind of, yeah. I think, I mean, for me, it's weird because people that don't understand something. So someone who's never dealt with anxiety, if I said that I wake up and I feel, like the amount of stress that you would feel 
you know, getting in a fight at the bar or whatever it, whatever it is, you, you'd have a heightened level of stress. It's hard for someone to understand without that trigger, why I would feel that way. So for me, I don't expect people that don't suffer to understand what I go through, but I also expect people to have a little bit of empathy to say like, just because you don't feel the exact same way, doesn't mean that you can't ask questions. You can't be curious. You can't suspend judgment. And what I mean by suspending judgment is we always have this weird feeling as humans that we either have to understand something or we have to judge something. And that whole space in between is so uncomfortable for us. It's like understanding limbo. It's like, I don't really understand and that's not okay. So I have to judge. So what I always say is just challenge people. I challenge people to find themselves in that moment of like, I'm curious to understand. And if I can't, I have to judge because I need some definitive moment of truth. Right. It's okay to be in a moment of, of just, I don't understand it. I'm tempted to judge because we're biologically always judging. I'm tempted to judge, but I'm going to suspend that judgment and I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to be curious and I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to learn. And then once I'm, once I've learned facts and context, I'm either going to move to judgment or I'm going to move to understanding. And hopefully we move more to understanding. But so to your question of what is the onus on people that don't suffer? Anytime you're surrounded by humans, you should always be checking in and building human connection. That's going to help business. That's going to help relationships. That's going to help, um, your happiness, your purpose in life. It's going to help all of it. So I would challenge everyone to just check in. Now it's not your responsibility to cure it right. or to take yeah. on the burden yourself, but it is your responsibility. I think to check in and to check up on them and to just say like, what do you need from me? Is there such thing as too much on that? If you're kind of, if you have a vibe about somebody that you think that there might be something going on. And if, I, I feel like it's probably maybe somewhat common that they would push back and be like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Is there such thing as trying to help too much or do you need to just keep pushing and pushing? Mm, that's a good question. Cause again, that's such an individual um, thing. So everyone's different. Yeah. I would say if someone is being resistant to those questions, I would say that's their body language and their language saying kind of like, I'm uncomfortable with those questions. So then you move to a different tactic. So if I, if I come up to you and I say, Hey Shane, like, uh, how are you doing today? You seem like you're struggling right away. The word struggling is kind of combative language. It's, it's kind of a way of saying, I'm noticing that you are in a bad space. It's negative. But if you say, and so if you're, and then if you move to, Hey, like, wh what do you need? I'm going to, I want to help you. I want to help you. And they start retreating. Then that is their body language saying like, I'm not okay with this line of questioning. But then the next, a different strategy would be like, Hey, I'm going to open up about how I feel. You don't have to ask me. I'm not going to ask you how you feel, but I'm going to say like, yeah, you know what? Um, I've been a little bit stressed today at work or this week at work. And then once you do that, you're, it's kind of what leadership looks like. You're showing that, Hey, I can be vulnerable. Now maybe you can be vulnerable, but again, like we're not counselors. The biggest mistake people make when trying to help someone else is if I came to you with any problem, what would be your first, like in like, what, solve it. you try to solve it. Yeah. And we do that with everyone. So if I say, man, I'm really stressed out. First thing people do is, Oh, you got to hit the gym. Okay. Well, what if, hitting the gym is going to stress me out or, um, Oh, you got to get out of that bad relationship. We always try to give advice. We always try to solve everyone else's problems. The number one thing that we say is listen without judgment. Mm -hmm. And how you do that is you just ask more questions and you just remove negative body language and any kind of 
well, this is what happened. This is what I do in that situation, or this is what you should do. It's just asking more questions and learning more about it. And then asking, what do you think? So what would help you right now? And how can, and then when they say something, how can I support you in that thing that you just said? Yeah, I think that's probably the answer to, to another question I had here was just around, I think we've probably touched on a bunch throughout this, but there's, I wonder what the path is towards breaking down the stigma. And I, like, these are probably going to be terrible analogies, but there's, there's lots of things that have had stigmas attached to them that normalize over time, like mm-hmm. online dating, for example. 10 years ago, good example. you didn't want to like, you don't want to tell somebody that you're out there looking online for a date. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, it's what people use their phones most for. I know it's, it's completely normal for you to meet somebody at the library is now weird, right? Yeah. That's funny. Do you, is there a way that, that we can break down that stigma to the point where it becomes completely normal for somebody to say, not just like, Hey, how you been? But actually, um, not in a probing way, but like, so if I see you, if I haven't seen you in three years and all of a sudden I come up to you, it's like, Hey, what's new? There's like this cliche phrase mm-hmm. you say, and everybody's kind of like, Oh, not much. How about you? Blah, blah, blah. You go your, you kind of go your own way. Yeah. Do you think that there's ever a future where this becomes so non stigmatized that that's the opening question when you haven't seen somebody in a while is like, Hey, how's it like, how you been? Yeah. Honestly, like genuinely not just, <laughs> it's weird because I like just, I think it's just who I am. I've naturally, there was a girl that did a post on social media the other day saying like, Oh, last year, Jim came up to me and asked me how my mental health was like, Listen, it was not. Yeah. You saw that. I saw that post. And, and so hit home with me. It was now. weird. It was like, I don't think like that. Like, I don't think that if I said like, Hey, how's the stress of running your own deck shop and growing in an industry that's pretty tough right now. And like my first question would be like, are you okay? Like, are you doing okay? How's that stress management? Um, do you need anything? It's just, I think it's the way empathetic people, but like, it's how they exist. Um, and I think we need to just normalize the conversation, but it's, and it's weird because it's something that affects so many people that mental health is it's a hundred percent of people. It's not, 10%, 10%, it's not 15%. Everyone could understand what stress feels like, what sadness feels like, what getting down feels like, how to show resiliency through tough times. So we need to just break it down and say like our mental health and our emotions and how we drive ourselves through life is something important enough to share and we all can connect on it. It's just traditionally we have to acknowledge it hasn't been like that, especially in pocket networks like the construction industry mm-hmm. or male dominated sports industries, things like that, where weakness, um, is kind of, um, punitive almost. So you have to look at why the stigma exists. It's invisible. People can't see it. So I have to have the balls to say it because you can't see it in me. Yeah. And that people take the path of least resistance. Ah, that's uncomfortable. Just I'll leave it. Yeah. I'll leave it. Um, and that's not driving, away the stigma, if that makes sense. So, I mean, how are we going to do it? We have to keep our heads to the ground. We have to create a culture where it's, uh, we're understanding of people's differences. We give them proper spaces within schools, churches, businesses, families to say, it's okay to just say when you need something. And then how can we rally around people? And cause we're all going to need it at some point. And then when we celebrate that, I think just slowly, eventually we're just in 10 years, I might be out of a job because creating conversation on mental health might be old. They might be like, well, now we need something else. So yeah. I don't know if that, if that answers your question, but I think so. It's yeah. I don't know what the answer is, but it takes individuals. 
Yeah, it's it's just a, it's not going to change overnight, right? No, obviously, obviously you know that. Um, it probably just does take repetition of of action. Like it starts, you know, it's eleven years or sorry, eight years ago. Um, your network of people that were walking around asking those questions was probably next to none. It started yeah. with you, right? And now you've probably, yeah. you've inspired Honestly. a lot of people to go to to be more comfortable with this conversation because because mm-hmm. you started it. I mean, when you, when you experience something awkward the first time, it makes you feel a certain way. You feel that same thing, that same thing happens to you again. The 10th time, it's like, it's normalized. Mm -hmm. And so it probably is just a matter of getting more people out there. It's just so weird. Like when, so we have a space on our site where like people in our community can write a story, an honest story about their mental health and what they've been through. We always wanted to have a positive kind of outcome, but it's something they can talk about. And when I get people to share their story, they're so tentative and they're like, I'm really stressed about sharing this. And from my vantage point, I'm like, you have no idea what support you're going to get and how relatable your story is and how the majority of the population is going to be so thankful that you did that. But they're, cause they're scared of the same things. It's like when I get up and do a talk, I can judge myself. But a lot of times I'm like, everyone in this damn crowd would rather die than be me up here. So stop judging myself because they're not judging me. They're just thankful someone else is doing it. Yeah. It's kind of the same with opening up with mental health. People are very thankful when people do it and the support I've never. And then when those same people that have shared the story that had the fear at the beginning, come back to me a week later there, they always are like, thank you so much. This has been, sorry, that sounds self-fulfilling. I don't want to, they're not thanking me. They're acknowledging the fact that their fear was like in their head sure. and the amount of support that they got felt so much better. And it's just, it's, if everyone could just understand that we can move forward fast. Yeah. I think everybody needs to just have uh, maybe reassurance that, that you're not alone. Everybody has negative thoughts. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's tough nowadays when social media is just a, a highlight reel of everybody's perfect yeah. life. Um, and you're stuck there thinking like, Boy, like I never feel like that. I never do those things. I've like, you know, that's right. Um, being at that, on con yesterday for me at the first time, I think was, uh, was really cool because I saw some people up on the stage that I admired and, and knew previously and some that I didn't and just seeing them open up and hearing their stories. Um, Greg Moore would be a great example. I've, I've been friends with Greg for He's quite great, some time. Yeah. Never. I've been out with Greg numerous times over a drink talking about life and stuff, but the conversation that he had yesterday in front of a hundred people was more in depth than him and I have ever gotten before. And it just allowed me to say like, holy crap, man. Like we, like we've never gotten this deep before, but, and I texted him afterwards. I had to, I had to leave so I didn't get a chance to talk to him. But I texted him afterwards. I was like, great job up there. Like I, I, it was so relatable and genuine. And I just like, everybody in that room has come from the same place as you. Like we all have those struggles. We all have those self doubt thoughts. We all, you know what I mean? And uh, I think it was just amazing. And just like, I mean, he, he put himself in tears numerous times up on that stage and it just made me want to go mm. give him a hug. Like yeah. I just, I, I couldn't wait for him to come off stage. I was like, dude, I just want to, I just want to hug right. you for opening up and having the courage to stand there and do that. And cause you know, the, the, the brand of Greg Moore as part of Justin and Greg is not, it's not that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's fun and quirky and outgoing and everything's great. And we're just out here having fun all the time. And, and so to see the, yeah, we have to start really kind of viewing things through that, uh, falseness on social media. Yes. Like people always say like, Jim, I find myself being on social media, comparing myself to others. So they're acknowledging that they are doing something negative, Yeah. but it's almost like they don't have the foresight or perspective to understand that that person 
is just showing you the highlight reel. Or we see Greg Moore as the brand out in his Justin and Greg um, podcast videos, you know, business. And, and we almost want to believe he's like that all the time. Yeah. But I just think we need to start challenging ourselves out there in general and just say like, but it's hard. Sorry, I'm going to challenge what I just said and say like, when that's all we're shown, we can't start assuming, oh, I can't see Shane. Oh, he's successful. He's out there doing this podcast. He's confident. He's, you know, building a great business and a great community. He must have it all together. I don't want to then start assuming well, you must struggle with this in your life or you, do you like, yeah. cause we have no context to, to do that. So then that goes back to my judgment and understanding. I have to live in this limbo that Shane looks great, but maybe Shane struggles. And until I get to know him a little bit better and ask those questions, I'm going to have to live in this limbo of don't know, but I'm not going to beat myself up over how good you look on social media because maybe there's more to the story. Yeah. You know, sure. you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think it's like, we've got to get over this thing too, that if you, if you look at a Justin and Greg and you see how their personalities are and that's, that's how you know them to be. And if you want to, like for me and I, I knew Greg prior to that, Justin, not as much. Um, so I knew a little bit more about the real Greg, maybe than you see on that show or whatever, but for people that didn't and they meet him, they, that they want to be around him because of what they know of him through that thing there. So now there's an expectation. It's like, well, you should, that's right. The reason I want to hang with you is because you're bubbly and fun. So don't, you know, I don't want to get too deep in anything here. I want this, this to be a fairly superficial friendship. And so yeah, that's kind of goes against what we're, what you're trying to work towards. Right. You're right. Um, I, I, I am well aware of my own, um, inability to communicate. I am a, I am quite an open person, I think with a lot of things. Um, you know, I don't wait and I don't show up here in the first thing in the morning, sit down and talk about how our mental health is. That doesn't happen. Not that I wouldn't feel comfortable with a friend as close as him, but I do, I, I feel like I keep things inside of me more from a protective state. And so, um, I was talking to a guy yesterday about this. I went for coffee with in the afternoon and, and, um, we're both entrepreneurs, both have wives, both have young kids. And I had mentioned that this time of year for us is quite stressful because the revenue stops, the bills don't. Mm -hmm. And so every year is a new, like, yay, where are we, where are we at? Like when, you know what I mean? And we don't know when that revenue is going to stop. It's dependent on the weather for the most part, but I keep a lot of that inside. I'll share it with Wade because it's, that's our business relationship. Mm -hmm. We're going through the same thing. But when I get home, um, I want to see my kids, whatever. And I don't want to stress my wife out with it mm -hmm. because I know that she handles stress in a different way as well. And, and, and that she'll react more strongly to things that might be happening here than I would. Yeah, so the winter, I the just, winter's shopping has to go down in winter for your wife. eh? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's right. You don't want to stress her out with that. That's right. So, so I just bottle it up and I don't know that if like, I I'm sure that's probably not the right way to handle things. And I don't know if at some point that builds up and, and affects me in a certain way, but I'm curious if there's, preventative type measures that we could be doing along the way to not ever get to that dark place in the first place. Like it, I guess my question is more personal is what I am doing right now wrong. Should I well, not be I trying mean, to bottle it up to protect people around me? Uh, Cause I think this is, I, I'm guessing this is a super common thing question. for contractors, right? They get home and they don't want to share their stuff with their family. It's like they've get that hour at night to spend with their family. They don't want to bug. Yeah. I mean, compartmentalizing your life and saying like, Hey, we all have like a different group of friends. So some friends are the ones we go out and have a drink with. Some friends yep. are the ones we go for advice. Some friends are the ones we go uh, to concerts with because different friends have different purposes. Sure, to yeah. me, I'm not going to judge how you are handling 
your own stress. If you believe that not stressing your wife out is going to give you a better home and more comfort there and you're protecting her, I think that's an admirable, admirable, admirable thing. And I think uh, you shouldn't be too hard on yourself about it. But I think what happens if you're always running into this situation where you're like, I don't want to burden this person. I don't want to burden this person. I, this isn't the person I want to open up to about it. And you are bottling it up. There is, that is not healthy. And so sometimes you just have to have, whether it's counselors or that one friend that is the person you open up to or, um, a family member or something. I, to me, it's very important to get it off your chest and to have that counter argument of your own thoughts. Because when, yeah. again, like we are own, our own worst enemy when it comes to our own thoughts and you need to open up and with people you trust and that people that will be honest with you. Right. You, you have know? to have an outlet somewhere. You have to 100%. steam it somewhere. Right. And I guess as you were answering there, I was kind of thinking through, I was like, I guess, you know what, that I almost deal with it before I get home because Wade and I do, maybe we're each other's outlet mm-hmm. on this. Right. And we do get a chance to talk about it. So that's, that's good. Um, nonprofits. Um, one of your biggest stresses is probably, Funding, get finding the money to get your message out there. What are some ways I know you guys yeah, have I mean, stuff with Tim Hortons? What are some other ways you guys are doing so uh, we, fundraising? We, like the first year in 2011, we raised $1,800. That's what we ran everything off of. And it kind of was like, what are we going to do with this? Okay, let's grow slowly. Yeah. And then we went to 12 grand and then we went to 30 grand. And then, you know, um, two years ago, we ran what we did off 65,000. And then Tim Hortons um, was looking for a new smile cookie recipient. And we were like, okay, hey, let's, let's go for this. They ended up choosing us, which was absolutely amazing. Cause anytime a company that big decides to believe in something as grassroots as we are, that makes such a tangible impact for what we are. It's, it's the difference between us growing or, or not growing. Um, and so then we were successful with that campaign and now we're starting to deal with some dollars. And so now we can, uh, hire more people to be in schools. We can, um, start developing more online resources. These are things that we can do. So when it comes to a nonprofit, it's funny that right now, um, money is always sustainable. Money is always an issue, but there's this public perception of nonprofits that is almost tough to deal with that. They want you to do everything but they want to be critical of how you do it. If you don't solve the mental illness problem the way I want you to solve it, they're critical of us. Or if they they don't want us to spend money, but they want us to do more. And it's this weird push and pull of the way nonprofits are set up that, and I come from the business world. And so it's counterintuitive. I took a business degree and I came from a for-profit business that taught me all these amazing pillars of how to run a good business hire great people, have competitive wages, market yourself properly, um, be fearless and a little bit out there and how you can find a niche in the market. And then all of a sudden you get to the nonprofit world and there's all this subtle, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Right. What do you mean you want to pay for good people? Whoa, whoa, you're a nonprofit. (laughs) What do you mean you're marketing yourself? You got to keep those costs at 1% of your total revenue. Yeah, Yeah. It's like, well, everyone's revenue streams in the nonprofit world are different. Everyone's um, mandate is different. Uh, We don't have an office because I don't want to spend the money on an office right now because I want that money to go to developing other things. But so anyways, that's my rant. I'm not going to get too much into that, but the problem is fundraising the money. And then it's, you know, how do you make everybody happy with that money as well? Sure. And it's a big cause. How is the apparel side going? Is that a good source of um, fundraising for you guys? Yeah, so you see it a lot, right? I mean, our, our, we have four 
five main sources of income. The first is corporate sponsorship, which we've done really well with. And that is the bulk of what keeps us alive. Then we have fundraising. So we do um, kind of awareness campaign events and launches that bring in some dollars. Then I do some talks. So that brought in 16,000 this year, just me doing some keynote talks for businesses. We do it free for schools with the fundraising dollars and we charge businesses. Um, Not always, but if depending on the contract and then we have our clothing and our clothing brought in, I think 35,000 this year. Um, and so it's not only a fundraiser. It started off as, as a fundraiser, but it very quickly turned into like our vehicle of conversation that is visible in the community that allows people to open up. They're either showing support for themselves that makes them feel toasty and they can talk about it or they're showing um, support for somebody else that allows them to open up to others and have that conversation. So um, clothing, the margins on clothing is pretty slim. Yeah. So unless you're getting someone to pay for the the clothing and then you're keeping all the dollars, it's it's not necessarily as much of a fundraiser as it is a con. It's part of our initiative. It's actually integrated into our conversations. Yeah. It helps with the awareness, the awareness side of things for sure. Right. Yeah, for sure. There hundred percent. Uh, and if people want to, because like I said, this, our audience is not, is not specifically local to Regina. There's a large audience mm-hmm. in the rest of Canada and the United States as well. But if somebody wants to get involved in support in that way, you can go to your website, understand us. Understand us.ca. There is a uh, place to donate or pick up a shirt. We'll ship it out to you. It'll be there within a week. And there you go. Um, reason not to. And it, you can share one of our initiatives on your social media online with your network. Um, I think we've allowed a template for people to start this conversation in a comfortable way. So utilize it and share some of the stories on our site or share a campaign or share something. So that's my challenge to our listeners is to head to the website, pick up uh, something, pick up something to wear, something to put on your wall, something just to acknowledge that, uh, you know, you're in support of this initiative. Final thing from you. uh, I'd like you to give people a challenge as well. Not, not in support, but yeah. So guys are driving to their job sites tomorrow and they're about to meet up with their crew of six or seven other guys. Um, Um, What do you want want people to start doing? My simple challenge for people would just be to, check in with those around you and look them in the eye, say, how are you doing? And be specific with it. If you know, someone's um, dad just went for surgery. You say like, Hey Johnny, like, how's your dad doing? How are you doing? And you, you just have create this genuine connection. It might, it might feel weird. Some guys might say, ah, no, it's good. And brush it off and not want to talk about it. Cause when guys feel those emotions start to rise, it, it, it starts making them feel uncomfortable, but check in with people, create an environment, no matter where you are, um, where someone can, um, open up and they open up by you asking questions and make them feel like you're not going to judge them. So that, that would be my challenge. That's awesome. I, I, just a quick little story that came to my mind as you were saying that I, uh, my wife, uh, and her family, very, um, very close, very huggy, very like when they're, when, you know, when you, we go down to the farm. It's like everybody hugs when you get there and everybody hugs when you leave. And it's, it's and my family was never like that. Mm-hmm. There was, I, I don't know. I, I can't recall a time since I was probably a child that my dad gave me a good squeeze. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm the same and way. so my wife in my family, that was weird to her. Like you show up at my family's house and it's like, Hey, how's it going? You know, things, things, things go to leave. All right. Well, we'll see you in a couple months kind of thing. Right. And there's a, yeah. and so she was like, I find this, awkward that like, I want to hug your parents. And I was like, well, like, let's give her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, try it out. See so what happens. And, and so now it slowly we've broken down these barriers, which was awkward for me at first too. For me, to, I remember, mm-hmm. I remember the first time I went to go give my dad a hug 
like after this, my wife hugged him. That was normal. Like my dad gave her a hug and that was normal. Mm -hmm. I went to hug him and my dad like stuck out his hand to shake and yeah, then did that. And did then the bro we hug. Caught, we, got, yeah. we got caught in that thing. So it's like, what the hell is going on? It's For been sure. 30 some years. We've never done this before. But slowly uh, we've broken down that barrier. And now, and now as a result of that, I almost think I get some text messages from my dad sometimes that I can feel him opening up on certain things nice. to me in a way that never would have before. And I don't, I don't know if it's a result of the hug, but it was certainly a bit of an icebreaker to, yeah. to be closer Sometimes it just takes something little and it grows. And yeah. I'm telling you, that's powerful. It's it's hundred percent true. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. one of my so. ex-girlfriend's grandma used to kiss me on the lips. So, and that was not good. There's, there's barriers, that was, <laughs> but I mean, I let her cause you know, I'm, who am I to say that right. this is my personal space and you can't <laughs> yeah. come in it, but Hey, if it made her feel better than all Put the power to her face. Yeah, you exactly. Do what you gotta do. Exactly. <laughs> that is too awesome. Well, Jim, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you making time of your day. I know you're a awesome. busy guy, um, spreading the word out there, uh, for you to come in and give us an hour of our time with our listeners is greatly appreciated. So thanks for stopping no by. No problem, Shane. Thank you so much. Thanks so much guys. Take Cheers. care.